I'm Jessica Randolph, and welcome to the How to Buy a House podcast, where we empower you to invest in real estate and start building wealth for yourself. It's the biggest purchase of your life, and we're going to teach you how to do it right. What's up, friend? Thanks for being with us today. We have got a really fun episode for you, and somebody that I look up to so much is with us today. Catherine Blevins out of Dallas, Texas is with us. She is a powerhouse and one of the top realtors in Dallas. She was awarded Rookie of the Year and Top Producer Award at her brokerage, was also named D Magazine Real Estate Top Producer, and has been voted Best Real Estate Agent consistently year after year. She's also in the Dallas Realtor Top 500 list, and need I go on? We are so lucky to have her a part of our network work here at How to Buy a House. And today we are going to be talking about something that she is actually personally doing in Dallas, which is building a house from scratch. So without further ado, let's get into it. Catherine, I'm so happy to see you. You too. How have you been? I've been good. I've been busy. It's a spring market and I'm also on the tail end of building a house. So, you know. That is very stressful and so much fun. And actually, for anyone listening to this episode, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about, so you want to build a house. You want to start from scratch, build your dream home. I'm sure everybody at some point in their life is like, I would love to build my own house. How fun is it? We're going to talk about it today and we're going to get into the nitty gritty of what does it actually look like? How do you get to the point where you can buy land and build your own house? And is it more expensive? Where can you save money? And so we're going to get into all that today. But before we do, Catherine, tell our listener about you and why you got into real estate and how you got into real estate and just give us a little background. Yeah. So my background after college was marketing and advertising, and I spent about a decade doing that. And, you know, I would say there was some big epiphany, but really it was, I had my first kiddo and my hours were crazy and I just didn't have enough time with her. So I, I stepped back and said, okay, well, what could I do that would still be fulfilling and keep me busy and keep me in that working world, but also have more flexibility. It was all about the flexibility. So I've, I've always loved real estate building, design, all of that. So took classes and just took off. And I could not be more excited. I feel like this is this was meant to be, you know, I think advertising and marketing is really easy to translate over into what I'm doing now. I was doing client relations. So it's budgets, it's relationships, it's people. And so it's just taken off ever since. Oh my gosh. I love it. You're such a powerhouse. Um, And I'm sure a lot of what you learned doing that translates, yeah, like you're saying, to real estate. And so I think that that was such a good move for you. And obviously you've had so much success in Dallas. So yeah, you're just amazing. And tell us about your house that you and your husband are building. And how did you guys get to the decision to build a house versus buying an existing home? Like where did the decision come from? And then tell us before we get into like the nitty gritty of the how, like let's hear the why of, of why you guys decided to do it. Yeah. So we have bought and sold a few homes together, probably, you know, since I'm a realtor, you move around more than the average Joe. Let's just kind of do a little fun background is like, I started with a townhouse. My parents gave me a more down payment. Basically, instead of having a big wedding, my husband and I eloped in California. (sighs) So smart. It was amazing. I would never do it any other way. So we, I used that down payment, bought my first townhouse. Then we got married. We bought a house that was actually under construction. So we did get to have a little bit of design authority 
in that aspect. We had our first baby there. Then we had our second baby. And that was another reason to move because we needed more space. So we bought in a neighborhood that we wanted to be in, but it wasn't exactly the house we wanted. And I do tell people this, like there is no perfect house that does not exist. You will never find the perfect house that you have picked exactly as it is. You have to figure out what those things are that are important to you. Amen. And after living in our last house, there were silly things like I want a walk-in pantry. I want a laundry room where I can hang up all my kids stuff. You know, we need an in-home office because we both office from home quite frequently. And we knew we didn't want to leave our neighborhood and there's only so many houses there. So I did, you know, all my realtor tactics of writing letters to people. I did get responses and I kept in touch with a woman who said, Hey, we are going to sell our house and move. We're going to enter, you know, we're going to let everyone who's written us a letter come and look at it. We ended up, you know, writing her an offer and going in just had no idea what we were doing. It's like, I, this for a living, but until you're in it and you're oh, and you're dealing with the city and permits and all those things, you have no idea. But I will say, like we are beyond excited. It's it's our dream home as much as it could possibly be. Oh, and when is it going to be finished? Well, let's hope by mid June because that's when we um, have to move out of this rental house. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, we sold last year because it was like peak of the market spring season and I knew it was the right time. And it was also for us personally a necessary step to take to be able to afford the next home. That's so smart. For those of you listening and you're like, what what is Catherine talking about with writing letters? This is like sidebar conversation. If you ever walk by or see a property that isn't for sale, there's no sign in the yard, it's not on the market, but you're like, oh my gosh, that is such a great house for me, or I love this location, or that's my dream home. You can write a letter. So many people have done this. And like Catherine obviously had success with it with finding their house that they're building now. But I've had a lot of other clients also have success with this. But writing a personal letter and saying, hey, Mr. Seller, if you ever decide to put your house in the market, let me be your first phone call because I can just imagine raising my chickens in your backyard and sitting on that front porch every night and pull on the heartstrings a little bit and stick it in their mailbox. Make sure it's handwritten. Obviously, put your phone number and email address. But yeah, that has worked actually. And um, you can listen to a whole other podcast about strategic ways that that real estate wholesalers and developers find land. And a lot of it is through writing a yellow letter, which could be a whole nother episode, but we're not going to talk about that today. But what we are going to continue talking about is let's say you're like Catherine and her husband and you're like, yes, we would love to design our own house and build something from scratch. Let's talk about the steps. So obviously for you, Catherine, I would love for you to tell me like the steps you guys took. And obviously in every city, it's a little bit different, but I would love to like compare what I think the steps are and um, what you think the steps are in Dallas for building a house. So first step is to get a marriage counselor. I'm just <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so cute. That is a challenging part of building a home with your significant other. It's one of the main reasons people get divorced actually. Did you know that? Yeah, well, you know, we're almost there, so don't... No, no, no. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, so first you have to find the place where you are going to build. That is where writing letters comes in, obviously having a realtor that can help you identify those places. So basically you're going to be finding a lot, whether there is an existing home on it or not. So first step is to identify that. Then you have to think about your financing and how you're going to structure that. 
we chose to do a construction loan. We wanted an upfront one-time close. So we purchased the property and had our bid from our builder and put those together and closed at that one interest rate. So you already had your builder lined up when you went to go apply for this construction loan because your builder gave you a quote on what he thought, you know, what you wanted to build, what it was going to cost. So you knew what to, to ask for a loan for. Where did you go to get your construction loan? Like what type of bank? Because not all banks do construction loans. No. And you know what? I have a lender I worked with for years and he is the best, but they don't do construction loans. I went to U.S. Bank. I used Lou Manfredini, who's done a lot of construction loans for clients, and they had really great rates. We knew, you know, going into it, I'm not much of a risk taker. So I knew that personally, I wanted to know what that cost was going to be up front. I will say that does add a lot of time, you know, on the back end, because you have to figure that all out. You've got to get all your plans. And we're going to talk about that. But you have to get your plans from the architect. You have to get your building quote. You get all of that lined up and then you could get to do that one-time closing. Right. And for, for those of you listening that has never, you know, they've never done this before, you need to, obviously with a normal loan, if you're buying a house that's already sitting there, they can see what they're lending on. They can see the house that's sitting there. They know what they're spending their money on. But when you're building a house, they're giving you the money kind of blind. They're like, okay, we believe that this is what you're, what you're planning on doing with this construction loan. So that's why it's super important for the next step, Catherine, of finding your builder, a lot of these things kind of happen all at once. And having your builder and having your plans and showing them what you're planning on building is also part of getting the loan approved. So yeah, it's like, it, it's like all of these steps need to happen. And a lot of them need to happen like all together. And actually, I want to I want to back up a little bit as far as finding land. So obviously, if you're working with a realtor, are able to kind of figure out like what size lot you're looking for, what kind of building envelope you're looking for. What are some things that you look out for in Texas um, when it comes to buildability? Like we have different things in Nashville, like how hilly is the lot and is it in a flood zone and what are the setbacks? Can I build, you know, if it's a 7,000 square foot lot, how big of a house can I put on that lot? How do you analyze different lots in Dallas? You touched on a lot of them. And one of the fun ones that we've had to deal with is being in a floodplain for where we are. Um, we're next to a park and a creek. So there are different parts of Dallas. There are conservation districts and historic districts where you have very specific things about buildings, setbacks kinds of architecture, you know, so it can get really complicated in those neighborhoods. We do have floodplains that you have to take into consideration. Hills. I have a friend building in Lucas, which is a suburb, and she is doing a lot of land leveling and it's a lot of money. So knowing what you're doing going in is super important. We knew we were in a floodplain, but I will say it threw a few loops in there for us in terms of building. We can talk about that later if we want, but so yeah, there are a lot of things that you have to look at. I always tell people to to get a survey. We did a topographical survey when we had our when before we bought our house so that we knew exactly what we were going into, like where the floodplain was. So I will say doing that homework is super important to make sure that you know. For sure. Getting a survey is definitely, you know, as soon as we find what lot we're looking at building on, we always get the survey done. And surveys, just so you know, guys, can take a while. I mean, sometimes it could take three to five weeks to get a surveyor out to the property. But what they'll do is they'll look at the lot lines, the property lines, they'll, they'll look and see, obviously, is it in a flood zone? They even go to great lengths of seeing, like, are there any burial sites on the land? Um, and what's the building envelope? So, okay, you can build a 
a five bedroom home here. And based on the soil levels, this is the type of, you know, sewer system you can have. And this is the kind of house that this land can support. So getting a survey is going to tell you a lot and it also can dictate your budget, which we're going to talk about in a second too. But if you do buy a, a piece of land that is on a hill or isn't a floodplain, that can affect what type of house you build. And do you need a huge retaining wall to keep the house from moving if it is on a hill? And that can cost anywhere from twenty-five dollars to $75,000 just for the retaining wall, not even count or more, not even counting for the house. So really understanding what can this piece of land allow and how is that going to affect my budget? A survey will really give you a lot of those clues up front. So it's not just about if you like the location and you like the view, but really like what can this piece of land offer me in terms of a, a structure? Yes, exactly. So then going back to the financing piece, obviously you would need to get a construction loan. Obviously, if you have a lot of cash sitting in the bank, you can build a house using cash. That's great. But it sounds like for you, Catherine, you had already had a builder relationship and that kind of helped you figure out the construction loan side of things. Let's talk about that because I do think that that might coincide with that next step of financing is, is finding your builder. And especially if you've never done it before, and I would say most people, unless they've worked for a builder or worked in real estate, they've never done it before. What would you recommend for someone who doesn't already have an existing relationship? How would you go about finding the right builder to build a house? So, yeah, but I mean, as a realtor, I work with a specific builder, but I know going in, you know, from a, a different standpoint, what I would do is there are definitely builders that work in certain neighborhoods and you see that a lot. So you'll see their signs up everywhere. Getting reviews and referrals are super important. You know, you want to make sure that like this is what I tell everybody is when you're interviewing a builder, ask them how long they've had their contractors, how long they've been working with them. If they have these like long standing relationships, that's a great sign. And then also ask them for referrals and ask those referrals. Like what's the, what's the hardest thing that you dealt with or the worst thing that happened and how did your builder handle it? Because I have seen, you know, my builder's integrity and how he's he's dealt with problems with homes and his clients still call him and ask him for help all the time and he is always willing to do it. So, and then also you're going to need an architect. Sometimes they go hand in hand. My builder had an architect that he worked with. So from that standpoint, it kind of saved us there because we were paying, you know, his fees through the builder. Sometimes you pick out an architect, have them do the plans, and then you select the builder. But a lot of times they go hand in hand and they have these relationships up front. That's super helpful. Yeah. And I think also um, asking around. So if you know someone who's built a house, ask them who they used. I will warn you, especially for working directly for a builder for a long time when I first got into real estate, it, there's no perfect house. Like you said, Catherine, there's also no perfect builder. I will just set that precedent now that they are going to disappoint you in some way, shape or form. And it will either be because they weren't on time with your house. I've said this before, and I'll say it again, that I've never had a new build finish when we expected it to get finished. So I would always mentally tack on, you know, when you first come up with a timeline, tack on two or three months to whatever they tell you. Like, oh, it's going to take nine months to build the house. I want you to physically hear, oh, it's going to take a year to build the house. Uh, because things happen and they can't predict the future. They're not genies. They're not psychics. They will not know exactly when. It's like a pregnancy due date, right? And you can hope for the best and hope for that date, but really anticipate maybe maybe a later date. And we can talk about that um, later on the podcast as well, but they'll either not be on time or they won't be on budget. 
or maybe some of the subcontractors they use aren't the quality that you're expecting. Um, so I think really having those conversations up front, like you're saying, Catherine, is super helpful. Another thing I would definitely ask a builder that you're interviewing is, do they hire out separate subcontractor companies? So like, do they hire a plumbing company, an electrical company? And because all those other subcontracting companies will have their own warranties um, and their own standard quality standards, I would say, or do they have crews in-house? Um, that would be like having a huge group of guys and a lot of those guys work directly for that contractor and, and they do plumbing and they do electrical, but it's all under that one builder's warranty. So asking those types of questions is great too, because you'll just get a little background on how that builder runs their own business. Because if they can't handle their business and they can't handle their guys, how are they going to handle your house? I actually prefer using a builder that um, has his own crew because a lot of times it's easier to get things done. It's easier to fix warranty items because they already have people in-house. But sometimes I've used contractors that hire everything out with different companies and there are pros and cons to both, but definitely ask that question and get your, get your due diligence underway. Yeah. And every builder is so different how they structure their business and, and, and their warranties. They warranty their products differently as well. So ask for that up front so that you know what you're getting. For sure. Okay. So let's say you've interviewed your builder. You feel really good. You, you feel like, you know, this guy is going to meet my expectations, at least for the most part. Now we need to figure out what we're going to build. And obviously if that builder has an architect in-house, that's super handy. I'm sure your builder will have recommendations of draftswomen or people who do architectural plans. But if you don't have an architect or if you're looking for one, another great way, similar way that you found your builder is ask around on who other you know people in town recommend. Getting on Facebook groups, um, real estate Facebook groups, and asking for some recommendations for some architects. It can be very expensive depending on who you use. So just keep that in mind that you might get different pricing, but you do get what you pay for, I would argue, in an architect. Um, thinking through things like window placements and light fixture placements and room flow. I mean, you really want to use somebody who has a great reputation and, and, and that has built beautiful homes. You can actually look at pictures of and look at floor plans of and get an idea of their style. Agree. And you can get architects can range anywhere from, I would say as low as maybe $5,000 to, you know, $80,000. So <laughs> it all depends on what product you're looking for. And also knowing what they're best at, you know, we built kind of a mid-century modern home, which is obviously very different than a craftsman. And so you need to make sure your architect can build what, or design what you are looking for. Definitely. And asking that architect, like, how does the process work, right? Like, am I going to give you all of these images and, and all of my needs and wants and you're going to design from scratch? And how many changes am I allowed to make? That's a huge question to ask because some architects will say, okay, this is my fee. And that that fee includes three rounds of changes. So I'm going to give you the initial plan. You give me feedback because with the architect, really you're paying for is their time. So if you're changing your mind on, oh, wait, actually we want the master upstairs or, oh, actually we really do need a his and hers closet or, okay, scrap that. We actually do need a fourth bathroom. Any little tiny change to those plans takes time and is going to cost you more money. So asking your architect up front, like, what does that look like in terms of changes? Because that first draft that comes through, there will be things you probably don't love about it, and you will have to make some changes. That's also just going back to why using a great realtor is helpful, because I always love helping my clients review building plans, because I've done it so much, of being like, oh my gosh, that hallway is way too close to the front door, and you're going to walk in and basically run into a wall. There's so many things 
things that it, it can be overlooked if you've never done it before. And um, so having people on your team that can can also lay a second or third pair of eyes on the plans is helpful. And then knowing when and when you can make those changes and how many changes you can make. What was it like, Catherine, for you and your husband? Like, did you guys go through a lot of different rounds of, of changes and modifications? You know... It wasn't crazy, but the hardest part was we got a few different floor plans and he wanted A and I wanted C. And I had all my arguments about why I wanted that one. And I ultimately did win, but I'm so happy that we chose what we did. And honestly, the first time I looked at it, I was like, you know what? Yeah, A is great. I like A, but the more I thought about it and the more I thought about when you walked in that front door, how that was going to feel. And for someone who's not walking houses all the time, it's hard to explain. So you have to think about it. And that was a really important decision for us was that floor plan. Like, was it getting, giving us what we needed? And it, it turned out great. Yeah. Oh, I'm so happy for you guys. Yeah. I, my husband and I, when we built our first house, I went through every single part of the floor plan and imagined I was standing there and looking out and really trying to envision what it would look like. And some architects will give you 3D renderings and they would give you kind of a, a vision of when you're actually standing inside the room, what it would look like, um, especially kitchens, looking at how cabinets are laid out. Usually you do get some sort of kitchen layout, which is great, but they don't necessarily do that for every single room. So just kind of know what you're paying for. But yeah, it's very important to not just look at the floor plan from like a, a bird's eye view, but like try and imagine it as if you're actually walking through the house. That is super helpful. I have so many friends who have built houses and they love to email me their floor plans to get my thoughts on it being a realtor. So that's, that's one of those services I have to help provide. I love it. That's super helpful. Okay. So let's go to the next step. Let's say you've gotten with your architect, you've got your plans, you feel super confident about what you're building. The next step after that, obviously you've secured your construction loan by that point because they've approved plans and whatnot. Then we actually get into the building of the house, right? So let's get into kind of that next step. And obviously we've got a lot of aspects of the house that yes, maybe you've solidified your floor plan, but now we have to think through doorknobs and floor color and the direction of the hardwood floors and what kind of windows are you going to buy and light fixtures and placement of those light fixtures and tile and the grout lines and how thick are the grout lines and what color grout are you going to use? I mean, so many things that you don't realize you're going to have an opinion on all of a sudden they become the biggest deal in the world. Catherine, what did you guys do with that process? Did your architect help you with the finishes or did you hire an interior designer. I have a ton of opinions about this because I used to do this for a living, but would love to hear from your point of view what it's been like with your house. This is where the marriage counselor comes in because you <laughs> are trying to decide what color the grout's going to be. So we used the designer that my builder works with. She's great. I already knew her because I've worked with her on multiple projects. And it's funny because I'm the one who wants to make the decision and move on. And we literally went through, she, she presented a presentation to us with all the different rooms and all the tile choices and light fixtures and things that she was thinking. And we made maybe a few changes, but I just wanted to say, yes, done, move on. Because it can get really overwhelming. And I think the most important thing is if you can make decisions up front, then your project can move along smoothly. It's, it's making those last minute changes along the way that can literally delay all kinds of things. So yeah, for me, having a designer, super important. And, you know, I don't really know very many people who have done it without one. So yeah. 
And I think you bring up such a good point that at the end of the day, it's like, you just need to make a decision and stick with it and live with it. And I think looking back on, especially when I used to design houses for other people, you could get so hung up, just like a bride planning her wedding of like, what color tablecloths are we going to use and what flowers in the flower arrangement? It can get so overwhelming and you could really have like, what's it called where like you can't make a decision? Like the fear of making a decision. Well, I call it buyer's remorse. Like after you've done something, you second guess it. Yes. And you start second guessing everything. You're like, wait, what kind of coffee do I like at Starbucks? You're like, I, I've had to make so many decisions in the last few days. And so I think now, you know, have living in now our second house that we've built, thinking about all the decisions I made at the end of the day, it's just stuff. And I do think that making a decision and sticking with it and feeling confident in it really is more important than if you picked out the perfect cabinet hardware for your kitchen. Because at the end of the day, y'all, styles change, designs change, trends change. If you're on Instagram, what's trendy changes every single day, sometimes every hour. And so you really need to trust what you like, trust your designer because they know what's going to look good inside the house and feel at peace with your decision. Don't feel like you need to compare what you've picked out to every other house magazine out there and at the end of the day, like it can always be changed again too. So let's say you do pick out, you know, some tile in your bathroom and you live with it for maybe 10 years. If you're still in that house, you can always make an update or paint that tile or stain the grout. And there's different things you can do down the road. So again, the word perfect, it doesn't have to be perfect, but pick what you like and, and don't get so caught up on one decision that definitely, like, I wish somebody would have told me that 10 years ago when I was designing houses. Cause I would get so caught up on, do I pick this light fixture for the powder bathroom or this light fixture? And I couldn't decide, but at the end of the day, you're going to be happy. You're going to use the bathroom. You're going to turn on the light. You're going to even forget when you're out at the restaurant, like, what does that fixture look like? So just remember that not every decision has to be the end of the world. (laughs) Yes. And, and, you know, building a house is not for everybody. Sometimes it's just easier for someone to find a home that has the right square footage and the right floor plan for them, because it is a lot of decisions. Like you said, from, a door handle to the color of the grout to the placement of the light switch or the outlet. I mean, there's so many things that go into it. So gotta have patience. That's for sure. 100%. And I think remembering too, that if you have anything specific, you're like, I know for sure this is the one thing I really want. For me, I knew I really, really wanted big windows in my kitchen and I really wanted marble somewhere in the house, some sort of marble countertops or some sort of marble tile. Not every decision has to be your dream decision. And really thinking about what's super important to you and sticking to your guns on those things and being more flexible and relaxed about the other things. I think that'll make you happier later on. I think my powder bath might be the most exciting room in our house that I'm... Wait, tell us about it. My must-have was monkey wallpaper. Love. So it's like junk, you know, it's big leaves, and then there's monkeys kind of hidden throughout. So cute. It's, it's green and black. I mean, it's real different, but it was like, that's a good small space where wallpaper wasn't as expensive as doing a huge wall. You know, we could do something really fun with it. So I feel like it would be a fun little surprise when people open the door. Totally. A powder bath is definitely a place where you can get super funky and you're so right. It is a smaller space. That's not as a a budget breaker for sure. I love that. You're going to have to send me pictures. I want to see it. Okay. So let's say you've, 
you've found your land, you found your building, you've nailed down the architect, you've got your floor plan completely finalized, you have designed the interior and exterior. Now we're getting to the construction phase, and there's so much we can talk about, y'all, when it comes to construction. I would say the big things, let's talk about the big things. And Catherine, for you, I mean, you guys are in it right now. What are the big things that you would recommend that whoever's listening to this episode, what, what, for them to look out for as, as the construction's happening on site? So most important, I would say up front is the foundation. The, if you haven't heard the Marin Morris song, the house won't fall if the bones are good. That is so important. So I actually sold her first house in Nashville. Well, I, I was the listing agent and she bought the house that I was selling. Oh my gosh. Um, and then that song came out. She's amazing. I love her so much. So foundation's important. We, I could do a whole ed- episode with my builder on foundations because I can totally nerd out on this topic. But um, in Texas, we have fun clay soil. And so we had an existing pier and beam, which I was really excited about, which means there's a crawl space and you can go underneath the house. Most new construction these days is a slab foundation, a post-tension slab foundation. And you can go either way. So we made sure because we were adding a second story that they put in more support. There's a lot that goes into that, but that was number one, is get the foundation poured and ready so that whatever you're building is supported and won't move. (laughs) I love that. I think that that's a great piece of advice. I think that's something that I honestly probably would have overlooked too. I mean, you know, you kind of just trust what your builder's doing, but I think knowing what's important and going in and being able to ask those questions of like, okay, what type of foundation are you putting in? What's the plan here? That's a great piece of advice. And I'm learning from you right now. I mean, I think that's super helpful. Well, and a lot of people don't think to ask about that. And, um, it's, it's the most important part of your home. Right. For sure. And there are other things too, to remember to ask, like when your builder is, you know, getting things up and running at the house, what type of insulation are they planning on using? Obviously, like you would pick roof color, but knowing, you know, the lifespan of the roof and the quality of the shingles and whatnot, definitely asking, you know, quality of materials throughout the house. Like what's their plan? Because most builders have a certain set of things that they always use. Like I remember the builder we worked for, they always used MDF material to build closets out of. Instead of real wood shelving, they used MDF. The bad thing about MDF, if it gets wet, it like dissolves. So there's, there are a lot of different materials that are obviously going to be used when building the house that maybe you didn't consider when you were designing it. Stuff like baseboards, you know, picking out different baseboard sizes and what kind of light switches they use. I mean, it's, there's different things that you just don't know. The, the um, electrician might already have that in his truck and that's just what he decides to use on your house. There are so many other little decisions that actually affect the quality of the materials of the actual building structure itself and aren't the fun things. So you bring up a great point is like really understanding like what the builder's plan is for the actual structure of the home. I think that's super smart. And then as far as like site visits go too, um, I definitely think making sure that you're visiting, of course, naturally, you're going to want to drive by like every day and be like, oh, did they put the siding up today? I would highly recommend if you are a normal person, you're probably going to be obsessed with what's going on with this house. It is like having a baby and every tiny little thing. And obviously I'm pregnant at the moment, so I'm using that analogy, but every little tiny thing feels so exciting. And there will be days where you drive by and you're like, did anything happen today? (laughs) Probably not. There will be days where guess what? Nothing happens. Maybe it rained. Maybe that contractor got stuck in traffic or got sick and, um, or got caught up in another job. It's okay to have a few days in a row where things aren't happening, I wouldn't get too too crazy, and you don't want to be like a helicopter parent with your with your builder that will drive him absolutely insane. What I recommend doing, and I don't know if you've done this, Catherine, is what I recommend doing is scheduling with your builder times where you are walking through with the builder together. That way, 
You're not walking through after work one day and you're like, oh my gosh, they installed the wrong tile in the, in the backsplash or they used the wrong grout color or, oh my gosh, that's not the cabinet I picked out. Your builder may have already caught those mistakes and have already reordered because mistakes will happen. He may have already caught it and already told the towel guy to come out and rip out the backsplash and redo it. And now you're stressing out for no reason. So make sure you walk through with your builder or with your project manager because it will save you a lot of potential heart attacks. Don't you agree? Yes. So I would say just rule of thumb is like have a, you know, weekly walkthrough. Set a time that you meet your builder and you walk through the home together. Because I'm used to working with my builder, we don't do that because we're both there all the time. We live nearby. So I'm constantly over there. But that is one thing that I do appreciate is he is on all of his job sites twice a day. I go there every other day. I have definitely caught things that are happening, but you've got to keep those lines of communication open so that you catch things ahead of time. Yeah. Agreed. And I think having like a very streamlined way of communicating with your builder, like asking your builder upfront when you're interviewing, do you prefer email, text, or phone call? Because the last thing you want to do is annoy the absolute crap out of this person that now they don't care about showing up to your job site because you have been the squeaky wheel in his in his day for the last six months. And I can say from experience, I've been that squeaky wheel and it's, it never goes well. So asking them, how do you prefer when I do catch that something's done wrong? Cause no one's going to care more about your house than you. The guy putting in the tile isn't going to care if there's a tiny little mistake, but you will, cause you're going to have to live in it and use that bathroom every day. And so there will be things that come up and how would you like for me to address those things? And I'm going to fast forward towards the end, but when your house is 99% finished and the builder says, hey, you know, we're doing our final clean, we're getting things done. That is really the time truly where you can bring up like, hey, this was done incorrectly. I noticed this was wrong. This, this light fixture is not level. That is what we call in Nashville, the blue tape walkthrough. Do you guys call it that in Dallas as well, Catherine? Yeah. So we do a blue tape walkthrough always at the end of a job. And that's, you know, like you said, anything that wasn't done right. If there's, if there's dings in the walls or things that have to be touched up, that kind of thing. But also, I always recommend a third-party inspection at the end, no matter what. Yeah. Like, your builder could walk through. He could make, you know, make sure that the plumbing's working. But getting a third-party inspector and paying for that is the best decision you can make. Oh, my gosh. That might be the best golden nugget from this whole podcast, but you're right. And that's something that a lot of people forget because it's normal when you're buying. You're in a rush. Right. A lot of people, when you're buying, obviously, when you're buying an existing home, for sure you want to get an inspection because you want to understand what you're buying. Same is true. The same is true when you are building a brand new house. Just because everything's brand new does not mean that it's perfect and done right. And there might be things that even the builder and yourself that you guys both don't catch. And getting another set of eyes on it will only give you more assurance that everything was done correctly. Yeah. And I think a lot of people skip that because they're in a hurry to get in their house. You know, your build process is always two or three months later than you planned and you're in a hurry, but that is, that is the best thing that you could do at the end. Oh my gosh. You are so right. And then after that, you know, they fix the things in it on, on that walkthrough list or what we call the punch list. You do one last walkthrough, make sure they fixed everything that you found. And then you close on your loan, you get the keys and you are now the happy owner of a brand new house um, that you got to put your hands on from the get-go. And Catherine, you're so close to being able to say that you are walking in and moving into your house that you've worked so hard on. And I know that's going to be such an exciting day. And I'm sure you're already dreaming of like what it's going to be like to live there. What's the one thing you're the most excited about with this new house? The living room, the light that comes in through all the windows, the, the place that we put it in the house. It's in the back of the house, so it overlooks our 
big backyard, which is what we wanted. And there's, you know, it's a vaulted ceiling with beams. And it's just when I walk in and I see that light coming in, it just makes me excited. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I cannot wait to see pictures. You're going to have to send me all the photos because I love all that stuff. We are so strapped for time. Catherine and I, there's so much we can talk about. And honestly, maybe we can do a part two. But Catherine, I'm going to wrap us up with two things. The first thing, give us like a one minute description of what the market's like in Dallas right now, because obviously the market right now in the U.S. is so many people. I feel like there are question marks all over the place of like, what is the economy going to do? What are the interest rates going to do? What's the market doing? What are you seeing in Dallas? And then I'll ask you our second question after that. Just to kind of give an overarching view, I would say the market currently isn't what it was like last year when we had that, you know, buying frenzy when interest rates were crazy low. But luckily in my 10 years in real estate in Dallas, it's always busy. We are the fifth fastest growing city in the U.S. I didn't know that. Yeah. We're at the top of that list. We have 20 Fortune 500 companies here. So jobs are aplenty. And I feel like it's what's drawing a lot of people here. So many people, I can't remember the number, but so many people have relocated to Dallas in the last you know, five years. Hence the reason we've grown so quickly. So just as an example, the last five homes I've listed this year have all gone under contract in less than a week for over asking. So we are still seeing multiple offers. I think what buyers want now is move in ready. I feel like that's kind of the big thing. So homes that I'm seeing sit are ones that need to be updated or are overpriced because people are, you know, asking the same numbers as last year. But Dallas as a whole is moving and shaking. Oh my gosh. I had no idea you guys were that busy and that crazy. I mean, we we are not seeing multiple offers here in Nashville. I actually, for the first time in te- my 10 years of being an agent, I have a listing where I've not had a single showing request on it. Really? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? And it's priced right. It's a super cute house. It's not in central Nashville. It's actually in Lebanon. So it's about 40 minutes away. But still, I mean, somebody that works in Nashville would totally do that commute all day long. And yeah, it's been so slow. So I'm, I love hearing what's happening. Um, but That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting. I do think, though, that interest rates have affected buyers. And it's at at a certain price point, um, which is understandable. And I think people are optimistic that next year we'll see them start to go back down. I know the Fed's deciding right now if they're going to raise rates for the last time. But yeah, I mean, Dallas as, as a market hasn't seemed to be too affected by it. So yeah. Well, that's good to know. Okay. And my second question, which is the question that we always ask at the end of all of our episodes, but if you were to give one piece of advice to our listener, what would it be? It does not have to be real estate related. It can be personal, but your best piece of advice that you would want to pass on. Buying a piece of property is the best investment you can make because you can go so many places with it. So I would say if, you know, if you could put your money anywhere, buy a property, it's going to grow. It's going to continue to, you know, fund your future and what you want to do. 100%. Amen. A really long episode. (laughs) I 
I know, but we talked about so much. And I, I honestly would listen 100% w- wish I would have listened to this before we ever built our house. So it was worth going a little long, but Catherine, thank you so much for being on the episode today and just for everything you're doing. If you're listening to this and you are in Dallas or anywhere near Dallas or have friends near Dallas, definitely check out Catherine Blevins. You can find her on Instagram. Uh, you can come to her in-person how to buy a house classes. You can definitely reach out to her, obviously, if you are looking to buy or build or sell a house. She's amazing. So Catherine, thank you. Thanks so much. Yes. Okay. Well, have a great rest of your day. It was great chatting with you. You too. Bye. Bye. Stay tuned for more episodes from the How to Buy a House class. You can follow us on Instagram. We're at the How to Buy a House class. You can also email us. Yes, we still use email and we would love to connect to you that way as well. You can reach us directly at hello at howtobuyahouseclass.com. And I also would love to connect with you. My Instagram handle is at Jess Lou Randolph. And we hope you have a fabulous day. Thanks for listening and God bless you.